Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. All right, how are you guys doing today? Good. No, no one's good. Everyone's just like, it's dark outside. You know, it's gloomy. Well, we're here. Um, I had, <laughs> I had a, a funny moment as we were walking up. My wife turned and, and looked at me, and she said, Skylar's muffin is on the communion. <laughs> so, so we're going to have to take care of that before we take communion. So. <laughs> but if you're wondering why there's a muffin there, that's why. Um, that's what kids do, so. Um, well, uh, <laughs> if I don't know you yet, my name is, uh, is Graham. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance, uh, and I'm, I'm really happy to be with you guys here today, uh, and I'm just excited that we can gather together and uh, look at what God's Word has for us for today. So uh, I want to ask you guys a question. Have you guys ever had someone uh, just kind of ruin a story for you? Who's ever had that? Yeah, some... Some of us have. Uh, I have, and I feel like a lot of people have too. Um, that's kind of like why we have these things called spoiler alerts, right? Um, so uh, I'm going to spoil the end of a movie for you guys today, all right? So spoiler alert. Um, but if you haven't seen this movie by now, uh, it's your fault, not mine, because this movie is 20 years old, right? It came out in 1999. Um, so I think I have free range to spoil this one. Uh, and the movie I'm talking about uh, is this movie called The Sixth Sense. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah? All right. So if you haven't seen it, uh, this movie has a pretty shocking ending. Uh, so it came out when I was in seventh or eighth grade. Uh, when it came out, it was kind of a big deal. Um, and so uh, as soon as it came out, all my friends, they went out to see it. Unfortunately, on the day that it came out, I was not able to go. I was hoping to go and see it later, though. So um, after it came out, the week after, all my friends, they come to school, and they're all talking about it. And so they said, um, hey, did you guys all see Sixth Sense? And I was like the only one who didn't see it. So I was like, no. And so they were all trying to like contain their excitement um, without trying to like tell me everything that happened. So everyone was saying, like, oh, yeah, like I can't believe when this happened. And, oh, this part was, like, super crazy. And that was all fine, right? Like, they, could, they were talking about the movie, and they're not giving anything away. Um, until one kid comes in, and he's like, he blurts out, he's like, I can't believe he was dead the whole time. <laughs> and I was like, if you, if you haven't seen that movie, that's, like, the big twist of the movie, right? And everyone looked at him. I don't even know if I would have noticed the difference. Like, I hadn't seen the movie yet, so I didn't know exactly what they were talking about. But everyone looked at this kid, and they're like, why would you say that? Like, why would you ruin the ending? Um, because that's like the shocking ending of that movie. And after that, like, I couldn't unhear that part, part, right? So I went into the movie like a few weeks later, and the movie was just like ruined for me. Um, the whole movie, I was sitting there, and I was like, yeah, he's, he's dead the whole time. I know, I know. And uh, so that movie... Uh, although it had a shocking ending for a lot of people, it wasn't so shocking for me. 
Um, and all that being said, today we're talking about another shocking ending, and that is the ending of the Gospel of Mark. And so um, if you're here and you know how the story ends, uh, I want to challenge you to find amazement in this ending, because the main thing that I want us to see from our text today uh, is that the shocking news that Jesus has been raised from the dead brings amazement. So we're going to unpack a little bit more of that as we go along. Uh, if you're new here, we as a church have been going through a series in the Gospel of Mark called Follow Jesus. And today, as James mentioned, we're finishing up this series. And so if you have missed any of the sermons, you can catch them all, uh, catch up on all of them at renaissancemtl.com. What we've been looking at in this series, though, is the life of Jesus and how people's lives are transformed as they begin to follow him. So followers of Jesus should expect their lives to be completely transformed as they follow Jesus. Um, as I mentioned, we're finishing up this series, and so what we've been walking through, all of what we've been walking through leads up to today. And a few weeks ago, uh, we saw Jesus as he enters Jerusalem. Uh, he enters for what is called the Passover festival. And this is just days before he would die. Um, last week, Dylan covered for us the betrayal and the death of Jesus on the cross. And so we saw that Jesus, although he had done nothing wrong, uh, he was betrayed by Judas. He's then arrested. And uh, one of his disciples, Peter, he's asked if he knows who Jesus is. And he denies Jesus uh, in front of uh, a little girl, actually. Uh, Jesus then, he appears before Pilate, and Pilate asks the crowd of Jews what he should do to Jesus. And, and the crowd shouts, crucify him. And so Pilate obliges, and Jesus is delivered over to be crucified. And so we talked about the death of Jesus on the cross and how on the cross, Jesus faced the wrath of God for the sins of, of those who will trust in him. But today, uh, that's where we're going to be picking up the story. So today, we're going to look at all of what happens after the death of Jesus and at the end of the Gospel of Mark. And again, uh, what I want to see throughout the text is that the shocking news that Jesus has been raised from the dead brings amazement. So uh, we're going to read our text for today in, the, in a minute. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapters 15 and 16. Uh, Mark chapters 15 and 16. If you don't own a Bible, uh, there's a table in the back there, and you can feel free to grab one of those. Um, and if you don't own one, you can take that home with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, we'll begin in Mark uh, 15, starting in verse 33. And as you guys turn there, let me just uh, pray for our time today. Father, we thank you that we can be here and gather and discuss your word today and that we can learn more about who you are and what you've done on our behalf. Um, God, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that um, your death and resurrection shows us that we can be we can be made uh, new with you and uh, God that you turn us from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Help us to be amazed at what you've done for us and uh, 
pray that that would motivate us to uh, go and share the good news with those around us. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so again, Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 33 is where we're going to be. Um, it should be on the screen as well. Uh, here's what it says. When, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And this is uh, the, the text that I want us to focus on most. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And, they said to them, and he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So, um, as we go through our scripture for today, uh, I want us to look at the shocking ending to the Gospel of Mark. And I want us to see three aspects to this ending about why it is so shocking. So three aspects to this ending about why it's so shocking. So if you are someone who likes to take notes, uh, you can feel free to write this down. 
Um, so the first section that I want us to look at is the impossible accomplishment. We're going to look at the impossible accomplishment. The next section that I want us to look at is uh, the, uh, the unlikely recipients. So next we'll look at the unlikely recipients. And then finally, I want us to look at the uncomfortable ending. Finally, we'll look at the uncomfortable ending. And again, in all of this, I want us to see that the shocking news that Jesus has been raised from the dead brings amazement. So let's get right into it. First, let's look at the impossible accomplishment. Um, again, if you remember what we're talking about, we're talking about everything after the death of Jesus. And so we see in verse 37, it tells us that Jesus lets out a loud cry and he breathes his last breath. And this must have come as quite a shock to many because just a few days ago, they were celebrating him as he entered Jerusalem for the Passover festival. And they, they had welcomed him as their king. And yet now they have just witnessed and are complicit in his death and they're now mocking him, calling him king of the Jews. And then he dies on the cross and it is now over. Jesus dies on the cross in front of the crowd and uh, the Roman soldiers and many of his followers. And we're told that that same evening there's a man named Joseph of Arimathea and he asks for his body from Pilate so that he can bury him. And so we see a little bit of what that looks like in verse 46. It says, And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, he wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Right after that, what we see, we see these two women who witness it. We see um, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph. And they see where Joseph, uh, or sorry, where Jesus is buried. And so, kind of cuts to chapter 16. Two days later, we pick up with these same women and uh, one other, and, and they are going back to the tomb where Jesus is buried. And it says that they had bought spices so that they could anoint him. So, a couple of things about this. Um, when someone passed away in those days, this would be a common practice to do to the body. And there were a couple of reasons why you would do this. Um, it was not for preserving the body, but it was rather for masking the odor, odor or of uh, a decaying body. So you would um, put this on the body so that it wouldn't smell. You were trying to hide the smell of this. Another reason why you would want to do this, it was, it was a way to pay respect to that person. So it would kind of be like uh, us if we brought flowers and put them on a casket. They would anoint the body with spices. And so all that to say, um, these women, they're going to visit the tomb of Jesus with the expectation that he's dead. And so as they're walking, uh, it says that they have a concern. It says in verse 3, it says, they were saying to one another, who will roll the stone away from, from us, from, for us from the entrance of the tomb? It says, and looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It says, it was very large. And that's, that's probably a bit of an understatement, right? That would kind of be like me saying, uh, this gym that we're in is very green, right? It's beyond green in here. It's like the Emerald City of the Wizard of Oz in here, right? Um, the, the point of that is, though, is how, how is this stone going to be moved? 
These three women could not move this stone. It was impossible for them to do. Um, someone or some people were obviously strong enough to place the stone there in the first place, but it was not possible for these three women, and never mind the man who had just been crucified three days earlier. The stone was very large and impossible for them to move. And yet they don't know this, but they are about to walk into a situation way more shocking and miraculous than just seeing a large stone that had been rolled away. They enter the tomb, and they see this man dressed in white inside, and some of the other Gospels, they describe this man as an angel. It says that they see him, and they are alarmed. He says to them, he says, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And here is where we see the shocking news of Jesus. This is where Jesus does the impossible. Jesus has been raised from the dead, proving that not even death has the power over him. Jesus has the authority over death itself. And I think this shows us a few things. I want to, uh, us to look at the importance of Jesus doing the impossible here and what his death and resurrection accomplished. As we mentioned before, uh, this took place during the Passover festival. Um, the Passover festival, it was celebrated when uh, the, it was celebrated because the Jews were freed from slavery in Egypt. And you can read about this in the second book of the Bible uh, called Exodus. But what it talks about, it talks about how Moses, Moses goes to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he asks him to release the Israelites from slavery. Pharaoh, he refuses to listen to Moses. And so God, he brings uh, about different plagues upon Egypt. And, and after each one, Moses goes back and he asks Pharaoh, he says, Can, will you release my people? And each time, Pharaoh refuses. And so each time, God sends a different plague. And this happens over and over again until the 10th time that Moses goes. And God tells Moses, he says, that the firstborn of every family will die if they do not kill a lamb and spread its blood on their doorposts. For them, this was a sign of faith. And they were told that when God saw the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, he would pass over their house and their firstborn would be spared. And so Moses warns Pharaoh and he goes back to the Israelites and he tells them all that God said. And the next day, the firstborn of Pharaoh dies and Pharaoh is completely distraught. And he tells Moses that the Israelites can go and they're now free. And so I mention all of this because this is the event that the Jews are celebrating at the time that Jesus dies. They're celebrating because their freedom was purchased by faith in the form of a slaughtered lamb. It was the blood of the lamb that saved the Israelites, but it cost the king his firstborn. In a similar way, Jesus is the sacrifice that saves his people. Um, in, the, in the book of John, we see John the Baptist. He sees Jesus coming, and, and he says, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
So the impossible accomplishment that we see Jesus do here is not that he had the power to roll away the stone. No, that just points us to a greater accomplishment, that he has the power to forgive sins and that he has the power to save. Because that is what the Jews could not do for themselves. They needed a savior. They were waiting for a savior, and that savior was Jesus. He came as the sacrificial lamb, and he was the firstborn of God the king that gave his life for us. And God raised him from the dead, showing that his sacrifice was sufficient to cover our sins. And that's the most impossible thing that we see here. Why? Because you and I cannot save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves by just trying to be better. That does not erase our sin. The Bible actually says that we are slaves to our sin, kind of like the, the Israelites were in Egypt. We were, we were spiritually dead, but Jesus takes people who are spiritually dead and he brings them to life. Um, I want to read for you guys a passage from the New Testament book of Ephesians. Um, this is in chapter 2. Uh, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward, towards us in Christ Jesus. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus takes people who are spiritually dead and brings them to life. And that's the most impossible thing that we see here. The resurrection not only brought Jesus back to life, but is our assurance that Jesus' sacrifice was enough to satisfy the wrath of God for our sins. And we can be made spiritually alive by faith in him. I want us to uh, look back at our story. Um, if we look back, we see that the women, uh, they hear of this news and they are amazed. Verse 8 says that they were astonished. Uh, this is kind of a constant thread that we see that Mark weaves throughout his gospel, that when people encounter Jesus, they are amazed. And so uh, we see in, in throughout Mark that when Jesus teaches, people are amazed. When Jesus heals people, they are amazed. And even when Jesus appears before Pilate, Scripture says that he is amazed. Um, I'll give us a couple of, of examples here. In, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus raises a young girl, uh, the daughter of Jairus, from the dead. And he holds her hand, 
And he says to her, little girl, I say to you, arise. And it says, and immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they immediately, they were immediately overcome with amazement. In another example, uh, Mark writes about Jesus foretelling of his death and resurrection. And it says, and they were on the road going, uh, th these are, this is the crowd that is following Jesus. It says that they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. They were amazed, and all those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Everywhere that Jesus goes and in all that he does, people are amazed. So we cannot be apathetic towards the fact that Jesus is alive. This is amazing news because it means that his sacrifice was enough to cover our sin. He is alive because it was enough to satisfy the wrath of God on our behalf, and that is amazing. So I want to ask you, does the resurrection bring amazement to your life? Does knowing that Jesus is alive bring you amazement? Are you amazed by seeing people go from spiritually dead to alive because of Jesus, because the shocking news that Jesus has been raised from the dead brings amazement. So the, the first thing we see is the uh, impossible accomplishment. Uh, next thing that we see are the unlikely recipients. So I want us to look at a few people who receive this good news. Uh, as we read, the news that Jesus has risen from the dead at first comes to Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary the mother of James and Salome. So what do we know about these women? Uh, well, we know that Mary Magdalene had had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus during his ministry. We also see from chapter 15 that these women had followed Jesus and ministered to him while he was in Galilee. And we see that the two Marys here um, they are there when Jesus is buried. And so we know that these women uh, were friends of Jesus. Well, what makes them unlikely then? What makes, what makes these women unlikely is that in those days, women were not seen as credible witnesses. So if you were a woman in those days, your testimony was not seen as reputable. And so Jesus decides that those who he would first tell the good news, those who would first receive the news that he is alive, are people who wouldn't even be believed if they told anyone. What does this tell us about God, though? That the good news that Jesus is alive is for those who are looked down upon. Jesus gives good news to the unappreciated, and he shows us that these are the people that he loves. Who else does this news go to? Well, we see in verse 7, uh, when the, the women are at the tomb, the angel says to them, and he, he says, go tell his disciples and Peter. Why would Peter specifically be mentioned here? 
Let's keep reading. He says, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So the question we should all be thinking is, when did Jesus tell him this, right? If we look back to Mark chapter 14, Jesus tells them this right before he foretells that Peter was going to deny him. I want to read that for us. It says in Mark 14, Jesus says, he says, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. That's the first time he mentions it. Right after it says, Peter said to him, even though they will all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And the last thing that we've heard about from Peter is that he denies Jesus three times. And that's where we've left off with Peter. So Peter is also an unlikely candidate to receive this good news. Again, what does this tell us about God? That the good news that Jesus is alive is for even those who have denied him and those who have sinned against him. He loves those, even those who have hurt him, and he gives grace to broken, messed up people like you and like me because we worship a God that gives grace over and over and over again because and because he is alive we can always turn from our sin and turn to him and that is shocking news that we ought to be amazed about the shocking news that Jesus has been raised from the dead brings amazement so um, we've seen the impossible accomplishment we've seen the unlikely recipients and now Let's look at the uncomfortable ending. Um, there's a couple reasons why this book has a bit of an uncomfortable ending. So let's take a look. Um, if you, you may have noticed that we didn't read to the end of the chapter. We only read the first eight verses of this chapter. And so you might think that if we were to finish the series on Mark, we would also finish this chapter. Um, well, here's why we didn't read through verses through verse 20. Um, if you look right after um, verse 8 in your Bible, it may say something like, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include verses 9 to 20. That's what it says in uh, my Bible. It may say something like that in yours as well. Um, the reason why it says this is because these verses appear in later manuscripts, but not in the earliest ones that we have. It's possible that these verses were added later by a scribe, and it's unclear whether they belong in our Bible as the inspired word of God. Um, I'm saying this not as a, uh, a scholar of textual criticism, right? Meaning I don't, I cannot tell you from an educated position whether or not these verses should or should not be in your Bibles. Um, my understanding, though, is from my studies that there was a manuscript that we have that included these later verses. And thus, copies were, were made uh, of it, and they were put into circulation. They were distributed to people. However, we've later found two manuscripts, which are the oldest ones that we have, and neither of them include these verses at the end. So um, that is the reason for <laughs> the note here after verse 8. Um, all that being said, I have read them, and I believe that they are true. 
Uh, most of what is written here has been taken from, uh, from other places in the Old Testament. And so um, that being said, being, something being true does not make it God's word, right? Something can be true and at the same time is not necessarily the inspired word of God. And so that's why we have omitted them today. Um, all that being said, Mark leaves us with a bit of an uncomfortable ending. Um, and maybe that's why someone wanted to add these verses at the end here. Um, because how does it end? It says the women are told, the women are told to go and tell the disciples that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And it says, and they went out and fled from the tomb and tr for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Right? The gospel of Mark ends with a command to go tell of the good news but a response of idleness out of fear. The women, they leave amazed, and yet their fear causes them to remain silent. We see with amazement often comes fear. And we see that elsewhere in Mark's gospel. And if we're honest, I think that's natural for us as well, that it's natural for us to be afraid to share the gospel. And this is why we need to depend on Jesus and his strength to go into the world and obey his command to make disciples of all nations because we believe in the God that does the impossible. And yet we still often are afraid to share just like these women. So um, if we look at the end of Mark's gospel, some may argue, how can it end like this? Shouldn't there be a happy ending here? Shouldn't we leave inspired and satisfied that the right thing happened? Not necessarily. Um, the, the Bible isn't required to give us a good feeling at the end of each story. This certainly isn't the only book in the Bible that ends on a sour note. Um, the book of Deuteronomy it ends with the death of Moses, and the Israelites are still outside of the promised land. Uh, the book of Judges, it ends by saying, in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Right? The Bible isn't required to give us the ending that we are hoping for. And so if you're left with an uncomfortable feeling at the end of this, that's okay. Um, maybe that's the author's intention here because what's, what's the ending that we're really looking for? The ending that we're looking for is the women went out and told the disciples and the gospel spread all through the earth, right? Well, uh, I want to challenge you today. If you find something uncomfortable about how it ends, if you're sitting here with uh, a sense of unease at their idleness, then perhaps this is meant for us to look inwardly and say, what is preventing me from sharing the gospel? Do I have fears that often keep me quiet when I know that I should share? Because I know that I do. Um, and I say, so I say this to myself as much as anyone here. We need to be reminded daily of the amazing news of Jesus. We also need to recognize our fears and depend on Jesus when it may be uncomfortable to share. Because the shocking news that Jesus has been raised from the dead brings amazement. Um, 
we're going to close in just a minute. Um, I want us, uh, I want to ask us then how does this apply to us? So I want to end by giving us three ways that we can apply this to our lives. So first, um, allow Jesus to do the impossible in your life. Allow Jesus to do the impossible in your life. Um, if you're here and you are not a Christian, would you consider the shockingly good news of Jesus that no matter how hard you try, you cannot save yourself. Your sin has earned the wrath of God and it is impossible for you on your own to make things right. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you, even when you were dead in your trespasses, he came to earth to pay the debt for your sin. And he was raised from the dead three days later, and he offers to forgive you and to make you spiritually alive if you put your faith in Jesus alone. If you haven't made that decision, um, let me ask you, would you allow Jesus to do the impossible in your life? Because Jesus takes people who are spiritually dead and he brings them to life. If you have already put your faith in Jesus, do you still expect him to do the impossible in your life? Is there sin that seems too big? Where are the areas in your life that you need a heart change? Because you won't be able to do it on your own. It's impossible. So allow Jesus to do the impossible in your life. Second point, allow your fear to remind you to depend on Jesus. And so as we've seen with amazement, often comes fear, and fear can cripple our ambition to share the gospel. Remind yourself that it is only through his strength that we can do anything. And whatever we do without him won't have a lasting impact. Rather let our fear, rather than letting our fear leave us motionless, allow your fear to remind you to depend on Jesus. Uh, finally, allow your amazement to propel you to go tell his good news. We see that our faith cannot just end with amazement, right? Pilate was amazed at Jesus. Uh, the Pharisees, at times, they were amazed at Jesus. Yes, the gospel should leave us amazed, and at the same time, it cannot just be for our amazement. If the shocking news that Jesus has been raised from the dead is really amazing, then we ought to share that news with others because Jesus is alive and raising the spiritually dead to life. And he's doing so as people hear the good news about him. So allow your amazement to prepare, propel you to tell his good news. Um, let's close in prayer.